You know, if you're anything like me, then you drink a whole lot of coffee. And if you want that to be an entirely pleasant experience and not come with all of the downsides you know it can, I recommend Strava Craft Coffee. It's CBD rich and infused. It's absolutely delicious, but it doesn't come with any of those negative side effects that you get from normal coffee, the jitters, the crashes, all of those things. More than that, it's proven to have medical benefits, whether it's to lowering anxiety or migraines or just helping your overall health, making you feel better. If you're drinking a lot of coffee throughout the day, you need your caffeine to keep you going, especially while you're working at home these days, then I cannot more highly recommend Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to purchase online, getting 20% off if you use promo code DNVR20. And go in the air, deep right center go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Mile High Green Cross. Be sure to sign up for their loyalty program so you can receive 20% off your entire purchase once per month. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. And on this episode, Patrick Lyons and I continue our conversation with stand-up comedian and huge Colorado Rockies sports fan, Brant Tobler. This was an absolutely fantastic conversation. If you haven't heard part one, I highly recommend you go back, you check out the Mike Vanderjack story uh, and some of our preamble leading up to these moments we were getting into talking about his days living in Las Vegas and working as a bookie and gambling on all sorts of sports. And uh, we jump right back in to that conversation. So without further ado, uh, because we had a lot to talk about and and discuss and just have fun with, we'll jump right back into it again. Stand-up comedian, Brant Tobler. Uh, So in all of your days, did you ever bet on rugby? Do you have any? (laughs) Because that's that's how you know. We got the DNVR Raptors, one of our sponsors. We got to plug them. Our guy, uh, Colton Strickler, does a phenomenal podcast explaining the ins and outs of rugby and and interviewing those guys you said you bet on all kinds of stuff uh any 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 rugby stories you know we bet on it but uh so my job was a runner so i i would just run around and bet what i was told and then i got a percentage of what we won and and that's how it worked so when we bet stuff like that i uh i would bet it but i just i didn't know i still don't know about rugby i would love to learn about it because a couple of the players came to shows uh, and they were super cool, but uh, so we bet on it. But I mean, we were betting on like NASCAR matchups. We bet everything, but stuff mm-hmm. like that, I would just look at the outcome and go, "Did we win or lose?" Right. <laughs> but I would love to. I have to listen to the podcast because I'd love to learn. I think that's really the only sport I don't really know about. And uh, some of my closest friends love it, but they it seems like they wake up early on Saturdays or something and watch it. And I've never been an early. Person, <laughs> so I have to check out the podcast and. Uh, Next time, I'll have some uh, some rugby stuff for you. Exactly right. I I feel like rugby is kind of like all the other sports, kind of smashed into one. Uh, it's kind of a Frankenstein game. It's a whole lot of fun, though. I've had a lot of fun learning about it. Well, you know, like uh, University of Wyoming, for a long time, I don't know if it's still true, they had one of the best programs in the country. So a lot of wow. my friends played rugby, you know, and they'd get to the Final Four, and then I, it's like Penn State or. And and I, one of the California teams are always dominant, but I, I know Wyoming had a really good rugby team, and a couple of my guys were uh, really good rugby players. But at the time, I was already living in Vegas or LA, so I never got to go to the games. But they said uh, the games are great, and the after parties even better. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's jump a little bit into uh, your career as a, a stand-up comic here. 
a little bit. I wanted to chat about how you got into that. And some of, let, let's do real quick, just up top here on this part. Um, I know people can find your stuff. You've been on Comedy Central on the, the Roy Wood Jr. hosted. Uh, it's, is this happening? I, mean, I was going to get that. Yes. Yeah, is this happening? This happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been on um, that. I got a couple CDs on Spotify. Or if you can just go to my YouTube page, uh, Brant Tilbert Comedy, there's a bunch of comedy there. So it's uh, it's all over. <laughs> And free roll your book is is also fantastic too. That's that's a definite must read for sure. Definitely yeah, my book, uh, yeah. If you're a sports fan and want to know about gambling, it's just about my life uh, in Vegas, coming from Cheyenne, Wyoming, and going to Vegas to try to reconnect with my father after he got out of college for uh, the eighth time. That's what my mom told me he was at. You guys are called <laughs> in the course. But then I ended up working for the biggest gamblers in the world, betting on sports. And uh, I had a, a long, crazy run in Vegas. And then uh, my dad stole $80,000 cash from me, which was my boss's. And then I tried to kill my dad. It's an incredible story. So I, uh, I recommend it. We'll see what happens. Uh, they're trying to make a movie and TV show right now. But uh, – if you're into books, I recommend reading it. Or if you like audio books, I read the whole thing. So a lot of people think it's it has a little more life to it because you can really feel the ups and downs of, of my life through the Audible book. You're trying to get Jamba Juice on board, and once they sign yeah, yeah. on, it's going. It's going. <laughs> I'm trying. You, you got to read Free Roll, and you'll get that reference. Yeah. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about that, though, because there was a question inside of that performance. You you begin that on on the Comedy Central with this is the story about the time I tried to kill my dad. <laughs> um, and and it's obvious it's a really funny story. Obviously, you're doing comedy out there. I remember I think it was a Bill Simmons, Patton Oswalt podcast I listened to probably 10 years ago where Patton Oswalt talked about the importance of space in comedy and how one of the easiest things you can do as a comedian is go out there and say stuff that people agree with, kind of just get the crowd raucous. Everyone's drinking, having a good time. And, and as I was watching through, and I'd actually seen this performance of yours before, cause I'm a fan of his. And so I, I follow what, you know, what Roy Wood Jr. is doing. And there's a lot of space. Like it's not a, you're not trying to pack in a laugh every single second. We've got to stick with you through some moments where, you've got to trust us not to think you're about to drop a punchline and drop some reality on us. How do you, uh, is that a conscious decision that you wanted to be that type of comedian or is that just something that developed as you tell your stories? No, it's definitely a conscious decision of, uh, cause when I first started writing jokes, I would write more like pun jokes and like, like Mitch Hedberg. I don't know if you could see him. Where's he at? Mitch yeah. That's my yeah. favorite. He's my favorite yeah. comedian, but he would write more one liners. And then, um, I saw some great comics that were storytellers. And then I think to be successful as a comic, you, you need to talk about your own life. And if you guys ever go to a comedy show here, there's a hundred chubby white guys with a beard, six foot tall. You don't know. We can all talk about hiking and IPAs and weed and all that. So, you know, from my mentors, it's like, if you have a unique life, you should always talk about your life. Because now I'm much easier to find if you look up, hey, what's that comedian that tried to kill his dad? It's pretty much me <laughs> and maybe a couple <laughs> other people where it's like, hey, what's that? You know, what's that comedian that whatever thinks there's tourists on Blake Street or something, you know, just local like that. So I feel mm -hmm. like uh, it's more fun for me to talk about my life. I think audiences connect with you more when you're vulnerable and, and honest. And, uh, and then just like, comedy dynamics of it you don't you never have to worry about someone stealing you know which is a dumb thing to worry about but like for instance i posted maybe two weeks ago carol baskin killed jeffrey epstein right and it got maybe a hundred likes or whatever and then like eric andre tweeted the exact same tweet yesterday and it got like 10 million likes now do i think he stole it from me no it's an easy tweet anybody could have came up with it but parallel thinking in this world, I don't want someone could find my tweet, not really look at the date and be like, look at this guy. He's he just did Eric Andre's tweet or whatever. And I'm sure someone did it before me because there's so much comedy police and stuff like that out there. It's just so much easier. If I talk about my life, I don't ever have to, you know, worry about someone stealing it. Or even like if I'm on a show, sometimes if I'm opening for somebody, a headliner, I'll say, hey, don't if you have jokes about this don't do them because I talk about that. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you just talk about your life, it's like people, sometimes the headliner will be like, Hey, what do you talk about? I, go, I just talk about my life. 
which is, I mean, a headliner should never say that, but there's some whiny ones out there, like, you know, just inside comedy. If you're the headliner, you should be able to follow whatever comes before you. Cause that's why they pay you all the money, you know? So, but just stuff like that comedy wise, it, it makes it, uh, I think just to be unique, be genuine, tell your stories. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more fun for me and a lot, it's a better way to connect with, with, the, with the audience. Yeah. You never, if you speak personally, then you never have to worry about that parallel thinking Yeah, yeah. of, you don't have to worry about someone also talking about wanting to kill their dad or knowing someone named Ron Huffendick. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. very clearly like yeah, that's, yeah. that's Tobler's story. Yeah. The only problem. Yeah. Some people will be like, is that true? I'm like, yeah, most of it's true. It all comes from a true place, but you know, there is some ups and downs. So sometimes you have to put jokes in there. You know, all the, I did try to kill my dad, all that. I would say like 85% of the story is true, but then I'm also entertaining. So sometimes people will be like, well, I was with you. That part's not true. I'm like, okay, that little minute dude <laughs> isn't true, but I'm putting on a performance for, you know, it's like, I'm not, we're not, I'm not on trial here. So like that. <laughs> so it's, you can, you know, a story will come from a real place and then I can punch it up and just make it better to, uh, you know, just try to get the most laughs or whatever emotion out of it. Like with your dad, with my, try to kill my dad stuff. I think it ranges a lot of emotions, which is, you know, which I like, when I see a comedian, I like it to, you know, it's not the old days where it's like, you need a, you need to laugh every 15 seconds. I, I think comedy's changed. That's some old like Seinfeld stuff of like, I, I if you're watching me do stand up with a stopwatch, that's not what, that's not what stand ups meant. I want you to feel something not turn it into a math problem, you know? Yeah. Have you ever had a situation where you were doing that and someone really didn't, get it or or maybe you had somebody like laugh at a part of your story that maybe is like ah we're not to the punchline yet buddy we're actually still on the kind of like i know you're having a good time but uh yeah, yeah. Still, there'd be space for that no you i mean there's people that laugh at the wrong stuff all the time or like <laughs> i mean there's jokes that are misdirection jokes so i'll say something absurd to kind of set up the craziness where i'm going and no one should laugh at that like for instance, I used to just do a joke. You you can't do any jokes like this anymore. It's a different time in comedy too. But I used to do a joke where the premise was, if you're driving at night and you hit a black kid, should you really get in that much trouble? But there's way more to the joke. And 95% of the crowd would be like, whoa. Right. But then yeah. sometimes a drunk idiot would be like, yeah. And I'd be like, oh, no, don't. <laughs> this right. I tell the whole joke that's not even really fun, you know? So like, you never know what a crowd's going to do, especially when they're drinking. So, uh, yeah, no, there's, they don't, sometimes they, but you know, a good part of that is sometimes I write a joke that I think, so I've been writing during all this. So I think I know what's going to work. And then when I go to perform it, sometimes what I thought was like a setup or part of the joke is actually the funny part. And then the punchline doesn't work. Like, the opposite of what you said. What's worse is when they they laugh at the wrong part. Is when they don't laugh at the part you think they're going to. That's what you worry about more when you're like, oh, that's when I was planning on pausing, and this is a real quiet pause. I think that's the one thing about comedy that a lot of folks don't understand is at least when they first start doing it. And I've I've done open mics, and it's hard. You you have to you have to fail first, right? Before yeah. you know how to succeed, and eventually over time you learn. Like that example you just gave, you can still use that that the funny part of that joke without getting to the racial stuff. And you can like yeah. make that same point go across and hit the, hit those same, you know, punchlines, but without, you know, trying to hit a nerve and yeah. cursing and using and then, that as a punchline. But then another thing you do, you can't really worry about hitting nerves as much anymore because everything will upset somebody. So, you know, we're so fortunate here in Denver that Wendy Curtis is just such a, a supportive, amazing owner. She's the owner of both comedy works she always has our back and lets us explore creatively without, you know, trying to censor us or anything. And she understands like, you know, some, if I perform for an hour and I crush, let's say for 58 minutes and one joke, one person doesn't like, they never even think about, like they never, they go to yell with that one joke. Like they don't even, 
statistically, I was great for 98% of the night. You didn't like 2% of it. You would never do that at like a restaurant. If you had an incredible meal and like one, the appetizer wasn't that good, you would be like, this was great. So this comedy world we live in now is, it's just different. But Wendy's great about just supporting us. I've never seen her say something like, don't do that material, you know, and, and you know, like if it's, if you're just saying stuff to offend people, that's not what anybody wants. But if you're saying, if you're taking some chances or you're talking about your life and something happens in your life, it just sometimes some people are going to complain about it. And that's just like, we're fortunate here that we don't, we don't have a, an owner that worries about Yelp reviews, but you know, it's, it's, you know, when I go to on the road, I, sometimes I have to feel it out. Like, am I going to get in trouble for mm-hmm. whatever, which is so stupid. Drew and I talk all the time about, you know, me being from the East coast and the, the, you know, the bias that comes with that in sports and, you know, being from the plains out here in Denver with nothing around, maybe you can, and you've touched on it, this idea that it's not just the comedy seller and Caroline's in New York and the laugh factory and all these in LA and New York that like one of the best comedy clubs in the country is comedy works period. It's the best. I mean, to me, it's the best. And, and you can tell that by the fact that, like, Chappelle just comes here to work out stuff. Like, Segura, I opened for Segura, Tom Segura, like, a month ago. He – I went and saw him. So I'd, I'd been, I've known him for a long time. So we've been friends, and I'm so proud of him. But, like, maybe three months before, I went and saw him at the Belco, and he sold out two shows, 5,000 seats. It was crazy. And then he just chose to come do a show at Comedy Works for 300 people. When he could have probably sold, he just wanted to be there. So uh, the staff is the best. Wendy's the best. They were the first really in the country to take away your phones, which I can't tell you how important that is. They just do everything right. Low ceilings. It's dark. It's, you know, it's one of those things you always hear about it until you, and then when you get here, you're like, you know, it's home for me. I'm so spoiled to work at Comedy Works. That when I go somewhere else, I'm just like, oh, I just want to be back at comedy work. So it's crazy how good it is. And I always tell comics that come in, I'm like, if you don't do good at comedy works, you should just leave. Just <laughs> you suck. You should quit. Because the Denver comedy fans are really good. There's a great comedy scene here. Just the independent shows are great. But the people that come to the shows, you know, it's it's just it makes it hard for me to even go on the road because I'm so uh, spoiled with how good the club is here. T nuts, Tom Segura. Yeah, Tom Segura rocks. He's he's incredible. Yeah, the layout of Comedy Works is fantastic. That's one of the biggest issues I know a lot of comedians have. What are some of the and maybe you don't totally blow up the the uh, venue, but no. some of the some of the worst places you've performed, or just like the worst layouts of comedy clubs? Well. Huh. You know, that Florida seafood thing sounded. (laughs) That one was just in a seafood restaurant and it was called Captain Brian's and he had a stage, you know, with a bunch of like weird, but it was just old people, old, old people that didn't want to go to comedy. They just kind of want to go to dinner and I would just bomb. But part of the gig was you got, you could order whatever you wanted on state or that was part of the awful pay they gave us but i would just bomb and i'd be like when i get off i'm getting crab legs I'm getting, <laughs> i would just clobber these orders so anything like comedy club wise um you know there's some they don't do it as good as they could but as a comic you do so many i've done so many bad shows uh just everywhere else that you don't you know you're just fortunate to be in a comedy club and you know, ideally you want like comedy works with the low ceilings and, and, you know, but I mean, I've done shows at nudist colonies. I've done shows, these bar shows. I mean, I did shows, I started out in Vegas and those shows were just so rowdy and it's so hard. It, it really made me a better comedian because if you like to get an audience member that's addicted to gambling, to turn around from the bar and quit, <laughs> they're addicted yeah. to watch you. It was a real test. So I've done so many, bad shows just anywhere but a comedy club no you know the ones the ones that that stink they all they close but it's just it's it, it could always be worse <laughs> That's I have a, only... we all love the job so we don't say no to stuff we should because it doesn't <laughs> feel like a job so no matter what earlier in my career i still am a little bad at it now 
when someone asks me to do a show, I'm just, my instincts are just always say yes. Cause I love performing and I don't really think about what I'm getting into till I'm in, until I'm walking out going, Brant, why did you really need $50 this bad? <laughs> but usually I do. So that's how, <laughs> that's the, other the other comedy thing is you're just, you're just either broke or you're filthy rich. It's, 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 it's such a weird dynamic. I was going to say, he, he'll just say yes to anything. There, therefore, here he is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love the podcast world. It's like, I, I love this. Like, it's so funny because every a lot of people complain like, oh, I'm not going to get a podcast. Everyone has a podcast. I'm like, yeah, everybody successful has a podcast. So you can fight it if you want. But I mean, I'm a podcast guy. I listen to four or five hours of podcasts every day. Whereas my girlfriend, she hates them, but she just she's just going to be late on it because there's no reason not to like podcasts because it's whatever you want. Whatever you could possibly want in life, there's somebody – that's probably interesting talking about it. So I, uh, I'll, I'll always end as a guy that has a couple podcasts. I know just the podcast karma of like, I'm, I'm reaching out to people asking them to be on mine. Like Segura's <laughs> supposed to be on my podcast this week, sometime this week. So I'm like, if I'm calling around bothering people, I got to say yes. But like I said, I enjoy doing them. And especially at this time, like I couldn't wait to see your guys' faces. This is, this is like <laughs> real people interaction. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so the podcast is the 31 with yeah. Brand Tobler. Uh, you've, so, been, you've been doing this almost a decade now, right? Wasn't it? Was it yeah. uh, 2012 you started? Yeah. So, but I made that mistake. If you're listening and you want to start a podcast, don't, the key is consistency. I don't know what you guys think, but for me, the biggest mistake I ever made was taking a couple of years off. And once again, like I just said, everybody has a podcast. So if you're not there, somebody else is there to replace you. So that, uh, yeah. So over, you know, now I'm back to doing it. Now I have three podcasts. So I do the 31, which is 31 questions where I interview mostly comedians, but like, uh, I'm supposed to have, hopefully Kyle Freeland's going to do it. And, uh, I, I have, sometimes I have musicians, actors. I've been trying to get, uh, Nathaniel Ratelift to do it. Mm. I was going to do a live one and I reached out to him, but he said he was on tour and then the tour got canceled. I was like, <laughs> you want to do it now? But <laughs> I do that one. And then I do one with my girlfriend called dead to us. But then the one I do now that everybody really likes is called Craigslist Chaos, which I love just talking about how hard it is to get guests. Now, all I do is I just get on Craigslist, go to different cities, put call me in the search bar. And anybody that's dumb enough to put their phone number on Craigslist, <laughs> I call them up and I just mess with them and try to get jobs or try to buy stuff or they try to get me to join the Illuminati. or I, That's what I love about it. I never know where it's going to go. So that's like my favorite thing to do now is, especially during this quarantine, there's times I'm sitting upstairs. I feel like I should be working or doing something. And like, I'm like, all right, just get down there in the, in the studio and just start messing with Craigslist people. So I, uh, yeah, I, I got a, I got a couple podcasts and I'm, I'm proud of them. They're, they're unique. They're a little different than, uh, too many comedians just have the same podcast. I thought about that when I was listening to Craigslist chaos, that it's like, it's improv right there. Like yeah. during this time, that's, that's a chance for you to think on your feet and to improv, you know, when you're talking with a guy about buying a couple of horses or something like that, yeah. and they got rot foot and, and, and all the stuff that you get into, you're, you're thinking on your feet. Yeah. It's good for me creatively. And I just get a rush from it because I literally just get on Craigslist. So I have no idea. I'll be trying to buy chickens and I'll try to join a circus or then I'll, you know, I've I've been messing with this guy here trying to sell me these Michael Porter Jr. autographed shoes. So over time, I get I get like uh, frequent guests. So this guy, he's trying to sell me these shoes for twelve hundred dollars, but I keep messing with them. And uh, so then the listeners are like, "Call that guy." So it, it's just fun because I just never know what's going to happen. Let's see Mark Maron pull that off. Let's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe's almost a whole other podcast category. Joe, Joe, change your life. That's the lottery right there. I know that you you'll change your whole life. I know the last couple months you've had, you know, cousin Sal was on recently. Um, sickle man, Ryan Sickler is he's he's the man that that, that's how I first came in contact with you is was the crab feast, which is is all time legendary. Who's been some of your favorite guests or you know, best stories that have been you know, shared with you on your show. Segura is great. Bert Kreischer was great. 
Brian Regan was super good. Mark Norman was good. All the comics were good storytellers. Obviously, Cousin Sal as a big sports guy. So I was uh, – one of my best friends is, is Jimmy Kimmel's little sister, who's also a comedian. So I've been fortunate enough to become friends with Sal and and, and kind of, you know, not – like buddies with Sal a little. So talking sports with Sal is always cool. And he uh, – I, I just – I always enjoy him. But to be honest, the – the comedians all have great stories one way or another, you know, like my, one of the questions I ask every week is who in life have you met that made you the most nervous? Mm-hmm. And I always love that answer because it's always fascinating to see who, you know, like, I don't know for you guys, I'd love to ask you guys that if we can flip the interview mm-hmm. for just one sec, who have you guys met that made you the most nervous? Wow. Uh, I was I was really spellbound when I met, met Willie Mays, you know, and it was in Cooperstown and I knew I was going to meet him. Like I was standing yeah. in line and paid plunked down the $75 to get his autograph. Um, and now it's worth, you know, a lot more, but it was just like, oh my gosh. All right. Just remember to shake his hand, shake his hand so you can <laughs> touch that hand. And that was just like, wow. I was just, just dumbfounded. And that was probably the most kind of head over heels I was for meeting anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think mine might have even been Todd Helton. I was like multiple scared for that encounter <laughs> because I also had like a job to do. And I had been told all these stories by um, Spilly and Sully, uh, Ryan Spielberg and Corey Sullivan about like how dry and to the point Todd Helton could be and how like if he felt like roasting you, he would roast you. And if he thought he said <laughs> something dumb, like don't, you're not going to get away with it. Uh-huh. And then I grew up as a, as a huge fan of Todd Helton. So to be there on some big anniversary thing they were doing and, you know, trying to think of like, okay, I've got to think of a professional and good question to ask where I'm not going to get ridiculed. And I also can't just come out and say like, Oh my God, I love watching you play baseball because I, that's not (laughs) what we're here to do. Like that's That's not a question, Drew. Yeah. It's not a question. It's not a question. And Larry Walker, for some reason was much easier to me. I think he just kind of puts people at ease. There was also something about, Helton was just this like just don't just don't be the guy that that says something stupid. <laughs> Wait, what did you ask him? Uh, I think I asked Todd uh, about the the Coors Field narrative and the way that it's evolved over the years and the way it's applied differently to guys like Nolan Arenado now than it was to him. And so I always just like go hardcore baseball on it, something yeah. where you just. He'll just be like, yeah, I think our guys have always been under. Like, I threw him a softball. I was like, I'm not doing anything. It's not like when I got a chance to ask Rob Manfred a question, and I was like, when are electronic strike zones coming? (laughs) (laughs) Bring them now. (laughs) It was like, I was way more intimidated. Also meeting Albert Pujols, but again, that was intimidating, but like, that was so easily done, and he's such a warm, smiley person. Like, Todd was just, you know, goatee just, Todd, just uh, I'm Todd Helton. Like, oh my god! <laughs> you'd have asked him like a funny. Do you think he would have? What if you'd have just said, "Hey, what's the drunkest you've ever seen Peyton or something?" <laughs> he, uh, I, it seems like a, you've got to know him to, uh-huh. to ask. Like he, like if if Spilly came up and said that, he'd laugh and he'd tell a story. But if I asked him that, I think he would have looked at me and just, "Who the hell are you?" You know, I think would have been his reaction. Well, yeah, it's funny. All these guys are like, well, we get the same questions all the time, but then sometimes someone will try to ask him something good. And then that's what I, you know, what I always wonder is like, when somebody going to stick up to Belichick? People like Rappaport or someone's like, man, if he talked to me like that, I was like, maybe one time all these reporters are just going to snap back at him. But I mean, I know you work so hard to get those credentials and stuff. You don't want to lose them, but it's weird how in fear that you guys are, which I would be too. Trust me, you don't want to lose a job, but it, it kind of sucks because sometimes I just want to mouth off and be like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> you sucked last year. <laughs> Here's a real thing. Uh, there are reporters who do that, and <laughs> they get they get looked at a little a little side eyed. But no, I think the guys who do the best. I like how Charlie Blackman handles it, man, because uh-huh. it's like like if you ask a really stupid question, he'll point it out, and he like, will. He won't suffer it, but 
if you ask a good one, he'll make a point of being like, that was a great question. And he'll really think about it and give you a thoughtful answer and like sit with you for a minute and do stuff. And like, he learns people's names and he does all that. But yeah, if you go in with some bogus, like, ah, you guys were uh, like, people like to ask this type of question a lot. Uh, Reporters will get around by being like, it was a huge game today. And you guys just really didn't seem like you came to play. Yeah. And they'll be like, excuse me. I put on my cleats. I put on my jersey. I picked up my bat. I picked up. I got my glove on, and I went out there on the field. I feel like I came to play today. You know what? It, <laughs> you know, you know who's great at answering those dumb questions. Sorry, Patrick. I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, yes. is great when he just. Yes. Like, are you all right? And I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> oh yeah. You are. Yeah, and Charlie will say like, "So what's your question? Like, what did you mean by that? Like, even if he has an idea of, you know, he he understands the game, but he's like." So, so what do you mean? And you go, yeah. Oh, um, hold on. Let me, how do I rephrase this? Cause I was trying to be as generic as possible. <laughs> um, you know, to take, to take a question from the 31 that you always ask your guests, um, you know, what is the best sporting event that you've ever been to? Man, that's so hard because you know, the, the biggest one was the worst day of my life. I got to go to the Super Bowl, the Broncos, mm-hmm. Seattle Super Bowl, uh, which was crazy because I, th- I was living in Vegas and it's a crazy story. And I wish I could tell it to you guys, the whole thing, but I'll, or I could tell it to you guys off air, but I can't, but <laughs> long story short, my buddy was dating this super uh, rich girl who's married to one of the Chicago Cubs. So on the sneak, he's like, Hey, do you want to go to the Super Bowl? I, go, I can't go to the Super Bowl. I don't have money to buy a ticket to the Super Bowl. He's like, you can come to the Super Bowl if you want. I got you, this girl bought us tickets to the Super Bowl. You can come to the Super Bowl, but you just can't take any pictures to like show we were at the Super Bowl, which is so <laughs> pathetic in this, in this world that I was a little upset about that. I was like, I, I, I got to go to the Super Bowl. I can't tell people about the Super Bowl. But anyway, so we got, she got us these tickets like three rows behind the Seahawks bench at like the 45 yard line. I think I looked them up and went out there. They're like 12-5 a ticket. Best seats I'll ever have in the biggest event you can go to. And as a Bronco fan and my best friend, he was a, he's a Seahawks fan. So I'm flying out there going, okay, you know, the Broncos are going to win, but he gave me this amazing opportunity. I need to be respectful about the way I celebrate in front of him, you know. <laughs> like, but, you know, this will probably be your only chance to see your team win the Super Bowl. So still have fun. So this is the thoughts I'm having in my head trying to balance where I wanted to be in the moment and enjoy it without being rude to my friend who's a Seahawks fan who's obviously going to be sad when the Broncos kill him. We <laughs> 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 know how that ended. So uh, that was like the coolest to be at a Super Bowl, have those seats for just the energy of a Super Bowl. But as far as like enjoyable events is like, Man, I, you know, live hockey is so good. And I snuck into game one of the Stanley Cup finals when in Vegas, Knights versus Washington, and they won. And so that was just the fact I snuck in and got to, got to be there was incredible, the energy of the hockey game. So that was up there like uh, – oh, man, I'm trying to think around here. So I went to the last Bronco game at Mile High Stadium – I flew out for the first game at Invesco. I have a piece of Bronco Stadium hanging right here on my wall. My So I sit in the south stands at the last game at, at Mile High, and we ripped up the seats, and I, I have that. So And then the first game at, at Invesco, and, the, you know, and then woke up the next morning as 9-11, and I was stuck here. I couldn't leave wow. on Monday Night Football. So those Bronco moments are like – Peyton's first game was huge. I, I came home for that to see him. Uh, again, uh, my, my good friend, you guys might know him. He's, or you guys probably cross in certain circles, but he's a photographer for the Denver post, uh, Aaron Ontiveros. He's incredible. If you're a Denver sports fan, you should follow him. He takes the best Denver stuff, but he let me be his little helper, (laughs) like follow him around sideline passes. But of course it was the chiefs game. I flew back for that chiefs game. Peyton gets benched. So it's like a sad game. He, I, I was following him around. I'll never forget. He has this incredible picture of when Peyton first sees like Brock warming up, and I was just like, "Oh, this is like heartbreaking." Because Peyton broke the all-time yards record, and then threw like four interceptions, got benched. So the two best Bronco seats I've ever had 
were miserable games. <laughs> I to think I was a jinx. I was like, I should sit up top. So, but uh, yeah, like I'm trying to think of the other, just any Bronco game, you know, I just, I, I'm just such a, through the, when the bookie thing happened, I lost my allegiance to like the abs and the nuggets and the Rockies because I, uh, you know, I, but I, even as a bookie, I just could never li- lose my allegiance to the Broncos. So the Bronco games are all big. And then, uh, I'm trying to think, I just had another one on top of my head. My first Avalanche hockey game back when they won, like Sackick and Forsberg days, was electric. And I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I, I was at the game in Seattle. I snuck into the game in Seattle on the fail Mary, which was incredible. Oh, oh. My ex girlfriend, we had broken up like six months earlier. She was a diehard Packers fan. So I always make the joke that I and she left me and started. She she was dating some hockey player in like Europe or something. And I always tell people when they call that a touchdown, I scream so loud that that bitch could hear me. And, you know, <laughs> and I was so happy that the Packers lost. So I was at that game. I'm trying to think, I've been at some famous games. I was at a Duke North Carolina game in North Carolina when they busted uh, Tyler Hansborough's nose. Oh was, yeah. So I've been mm-hmm. doing a lot of cool stuff. And I'll tell you the coolest thing I've done is I've saved every ticket since I was eight years old. So I can't really do it as much anymore now that like the Broncos are all phone, yeah. but if you get the program, you can take the ticket stuff out. Uh, there's an actual ticket stuff in the programs and you walk in. So it's actually kind of made it easier for me because there's a lot of times when I'd go to sporting events with people and we'd have phone tickets and then I'd have to walk around after to make sure I found the ticket, but I always got it. But no, I, there's so many, like I said, I try to go to every sporting event that I can. So there's so many, but I would say all the big Bronco games are, you know, obviously I wasn't at that first Bronco Super Bowl, but I don't know if anything will ever beat that. Just driving home, honking my horn, crying. I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming, that the Packer one. And then I flew home to Denver. I, I was going to college in Phoenix for this, the second one against Atlanta so even though I had no money, I scraped together. I knew I had to be in Denver for that. So that the, the Bronco stuff will always just, you know, when, when I, I still, whenever I hear the radio call of Elway spin in helicopter, I'll cry every single time. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I'm in my early forties. Sports can make me cry, but yeah, it's uh, the, the Bronco stuff will always be tough to, to be. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's beautiful. Great. <laughs> Uh, another beautiful thing, by the way, is another one of our sponsors we got to help out during this time, Denver Rubber Company. Uh, they are phenomenal. They remain open to supply products and other essential businesses. They're helping out our friends in the medical departments, the military, government, wind energy, uh, in the food and beverage industries. So they're still very much vital to everything going on out there. They are family owned and operated. They are diehard Denver sports fans. So if you help them out, you're helping out your own community. Uh, they've got, you know, them that are known for cutting and supplying rubber snowplow blades, providing custom rubber, foam gaskets, hose assemblies, metal parts, all kinds of stuff. DRC is committed to supporting your needs, especially during these uncertain times. So be sure to call them today for any of your needs at one 800 2590010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash DNVR. And Grant, I didn't want to close out here. Oh, I gotta take that off. Uh, <laughs> just gonna look at that for the rest of the time. Uh, we got a couple of questions. One came in here from our guy Ken Saunders, wanting to know if you've ever worked with or if you've got thoughts on Eliza Schlesinger, his favorite female comedian. Um, we haven't, I think we did like uh been on same shows in LA, but I don't, I, I know her just little, a little bit, but, uh, I think she's great. She's, I'm so happy for her. She, you know, she's had tremendous success and I watched her in that movie, uh, whatever that new Netflix movie was with Mark Wahlberg and post oh, yeah. in it. I don't know, but she was in it and I was like, she did a great job. So she, uh, she's really good comedian and I, I don't have any great stories about her uh personally that that i can tell but uh <laughs> uh no I, she's great she's a uh, and i think she had a show scheduled here but then it this ruined it all but no she's very funny there's so I many great comedians out there i know one comedian you could probably share a, a story about is a guy you opened up a while before he was big is is, is bert you know bert kreischer i know you, you guys are, yeah. are pretty close uh, do you have a favorite bert story 
you know, he's he, I'm just so happy to watch these guys have so much success. But we so I used to open for Segura before he was super famous. And Segura would always tell me about Bert. And he's like, yo, you got to meet this dude. You have crazy stories. He has crazy stories. You guys get along. And I was like, all right. And then they booked Bert and I was scheduled to open for him. And I remember walking into the green room. <laughs> and when I opened the green room door, he was just, he was sitting there naked and just acting <laughs> like nothing's going on. I was like, you must be Bert. He's like, you must be Brant. So we had a great time uh, hanging out. And he, you know, we went, one of my fondest memories, we were, cause we were down on Vegas, like on Fremont Street was where the club was. And it was the first time we found like uh, the claw machine that would get lobsters. And we tried forever. to. We probably spent $200 trying to get a lobster. In <laughs> and I remember he had just started taking his shirt off and he was going to do Letterman. And he's like, do you think I should take my shirt off when I go on Letterman? And I was like, yeah. You know, I mean, I go, I mean, it'd be ballsy, but it'd be unforgettable. And he didn't end up doing it, which I don't, it would have been so crazy to do. But uh, he, you know, he's the best. He's, he's the machine. And when I first moved here, he just got here and he, he sold out five shows and he just, he's he's ad he's as advertised you what i really like about him is he uh he's real honest about the business like he just openly one time we were in i went some in la jolla we go through a, a taco bell drive-through there's four of us we order like 90 dollars worth of food he buys it all we go back to the condo and then he just tells me like man when i was at this point i made this much money and then i made this much money and he's real a lot of people are very secretive about what they make or their process or don't try to help other comedians. Uh, whereas Bert, Bert's always, uh, you know, he's so famous now. He, I mean, I think he's like one of those dudes. People are like, just call him. I'm like, he's honestly like famous, famous where I don't think, you know, it hurt my feelings a couple of times when I'd call him in the beginning because he didn't get right back to me like the old days. But then I also realized when these guys get famous, I only call them when I want stuff. So I'm trying to be more fair about that. It's like, if any of you guys are watching, when you get famous friends, don't, you got to kind of, I've tried to self kind of look at myself, go, oh, every time I do text him, it's, I need him to be a podcast guest or can you, you know? So I was like, so we, you know, we're, we're friends. He's, he's a dude. Like when I see him, it's on, but uh, he's, he's really, he's famous. <laughs> I'm happy for him, man. I, I can't, I root for all these guys because we all are on the same path. And the bigger comedians I've ever met are the cooler. There's a little middle area of the guys that didn't make it that are bitter. But as far as like Chappelle, Segura, the little times I've been around Rogan, Bert, these guys couldn't be nicer. And it's it's crazy what a fraternity, sorority, the women comedians too are all great. But it's it's so cool because I always say you don't want to meet your heroes. But in stand-up, uh, I swear the bigger they are, the, the, the cooler they are. Did you get or ever get a chance to to come across Patrice O'Neill before he passed away? I know he's a New York guy. But... Yeah, no, he I never did. And he in those Vegas days, the East Coast guys just didn't come west that much. Like for those ten years I was in Vegas, I can't really tell you. I mean, we just didn't get hardly any of those guys would travel that far. So I, I mean, I'm a big Patrice fan. I would love in this climate, it would be crazy because he was he's no holds barred. I mean, I think it's what we need sometimes, but. Uh, I'm a fan, but no, unfortunately, I never. I, I wish I would. I never got to see Mitch Hedberg live, and I never got to see Patrice. But I've been fortunate enough to see pretty much other every other great comic. Uh, you know, I mean, I saw Carlin like a week before he died. He was incredible. I remember walking out. I think he was 77. And I remember just being like, man, I I talked to my grandpa the other day. He he barely remembers anything. And Carlin at 77, just he was sharp. Just so sharp. So I've been fortunate to see, you know, that's the one thing about LA is you get to see everybody. And then now at comedy works, if you're good, a lot of times these guys will do theaters and then they'll just come right to comedy works. Cause they, they understand what a special place it is. And the last one I wanted to ask about because of a local connection, a Colorado, at least not your Wyoming guy, but it was yeah. Kristen Shaw. Kristen uh, Shaw? Yeah. Yeah. yeah see, I, I've seen her shows, but I don't, she was she was in New York the whole time I was in L.A. Okay. And I think she came back to L.A. and because she's from is she from here? Yeah, she's from Longmont, Colorado. Oh, really? Yeah. So she's another one where I'm a fan, and I've been in the same uh, room, but we we never hung out. Like, there's different scenes of like there's like an alt scene that was a little it's it's grown together more now, but 
a lot of the time in LA, like if you like sports, we were like the sports crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. It's it, it just different styles. She, I think she's very funny, but a lot of people she hangs out with, I thought sucked. So, but I didn't know. <laughs> she, I know like TJ Miller's from here. Yeah. TJ, yeah, yeah. I see him a lot. And weirdly, I've had a lot of people in Denver that know him or knew him growing up, but I didn't know Kristen Shaw was from here, but yeah, she, uh, She's doing she's doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> she's doing well for herself. There's some pretty funny people from Denver. And then Ken wants to know if you'd like to be roasted by Jeff Ross. Yeah, I mean I have. I have uh I did roast battle at, in uh in LA and uh I lost and I'll be I mean I lost. You shouldn't make excuses when you lost. I had way better jokes, but here's some roast battle advice. Man versus women, it is so hard. Cause it's so much, the crowd doesn't like it when you're mean to girls. Like it was, and this girl, yeah. it was, but anyway, uh, another story. <laughs> look that up. I feel a little better cause I should have won that. But, uh, I was at the comedy cellar a couple of years ago and, um, I took my, one of my best friends, Greg Lucero, who lives out here. He had never been to the cellar. So we went and the cellar to get to the bathroom, you have to walk by the stage. And we came out of the bathroom and Jeff Ross and, uh, uh, David Teller on stage, just roasting and doing their thing. And we're walking by and they just start roasting us while we walk by. I was in the back and my buddy Greg was in the front. So they start talking to him. Greg stops like a deer in headlights. Like, Oh man, that's a tail right there. And Jeffrey Ross as they're just roasting us. And I'm just pushing them in the back. Like, no, this is not how we want <laughs> Ross and David tell us keep going. So I forget what he said about us, but he, uh, he got us, you know, and he's Jeff Ross is a great. Uh, he he's the roast master. All that he's great, but David Tell is a thousand times funnier. And when I so I got to open for a Tell here at Comedy Works, and a Tell's the greatest guy. Once again, the bigger they are, the cooler they are. At the end of every show, David Tell would come out, autograph a book, buy it from me, make me take the twenty dollars, then give it to somebody in the crowd, and then just roast me for like 10 minutes and it was the ultimate honor. And then I sold all my books that I brought to the club just because of him, you know, which was, I think I had like 30 books. I sold out every book and then just the, and he made me take his $20. I was like, Dave, just take the book. I Dave Mattel, I can't charge you. And then he just roasted me, just stuck dying. Cause I had a bigger beard at the time, just destroyed me. And I couldn't have been happier just getting destroyed by a tell is in hindsight. I wish I'd have just got the tape, but I think I was just on such a, on cloud nine from working with him that week that I didn't even think about like, Oh man, that was, you know, and he did it both shows just, and just different material, both shows just ripped me. And I was like, this is pretty cool. But, but yeah, I've been around Jeff Ross uh, plenty of times and I've, you can just catch the shrapnel by just being close. So, <laughs> but yeah, I can always take a good roasting. Like you could roasting is great. Like if you really want to hurt me, I would just read like my comments on YouTube. That's what hurts. <laughs> a comedy roast is like I can get through that. It's all fun, and I, I can be poked fun at. It's like uh, it's the stuff on YouTube when it's just some egg with no followers. It just really goes for the. I mean, right. I never my comments anymore. But starting out, I'd be like, you could read fifty in a row, good, and then there's that one that'll just be like, all right, well, it's going to be a little harder to sleep tonight. <laughs> the only thing Iowa said I'm fat and look like Ben Roethlisberger with Down syndrome or something, and I'm just like. <laughs> That one hurt. That one. Wow. Yeah. But no, I would, take it, I would take it as a badge of honor to get roasted again by Jeff Ross. Atel is is the comedian's comedian, and yeah. and he put he put you over. Um. So take this moment. Who do you want to put over right now in the Denver comedy scene? Well, who's a local guy you got to go see when? Opens well, up? yeah, Derek Stroop, who was in here earlier, he's great. I mean, he's crushing. Uh, there's so many really good young comics. The scene here is really good, as far as. And I just think because there's so many great comics. Like when I moved here, like three other pros from L.A. moved here. So um, there's a, a kid named Matt Kobos I think is really funny. Um, who else do I really like? You know, I, we do a show here with Mike. St- I do a show. I get a co-host with Mike Stanley on Monday nights, mostly at Thick Skin. And they do they do the pros and they do the amateur. And then they do uh, the worst tattoo in the audience competition <laughs> so when comedy works if you're if you live in denver when it opens back up come to thick skin because that 
is the best. But sorry to answer your question, like obviously Mike Stanley's good. You know, Sam Talent is he just he wrote a book. He crushes here. Nathan Lund. These guys are all pros. Like some of the younger comedians I like is uh <clears throat> man, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Ben Bryant makes some funny stuff. I don't know. There's so many. Like I said, the scene's just really good, but uh Kobos is like my favorite. Derek Stroop destroys. Um yeah, that's about it. I mean, there's I could just name come out to comedy works. Yes. Yeah. If you go to comedy uh, works, they're gonna be good. Cause if like I said, if you're not good there, you should just quit. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, yeah, anything else you want to plug? What's your Twitter, Insta, all that? What do you got? Uh, yeah, my Twitter and, and Insta is just Brant Tobler, B-R-A-N-D-T-T-O-B-L-E-R. I think I, I spelled my own name wrong down here. <laughs> I just noticed that. Uh, I just noticed that. But yeah, you can, my podcast, I'm putting out a podcast pretty much every day. So you can just find that at the 31 with Brant Tobler. And what I'm most proud about is my book uh, and it's available, Audible, Amazon. <clears throat> but what I've been doing, if you want to get a book, you can just hit me up on social media, send me 20 bucks, uh, Venmo or PayPal, and then I'll send you an autographed book. I'll send you five stickers, uh, podcast and my own stickers that are all dope. And then, uh, I've been just writing a joke so you can pick whatever topic you want and I'll write a joke about it and then send it back to you. So that's better for me because I just make more money than when you go through Amazon and it's just fun for me to write a joke and the stickers are all great. And then you, you get an autographed copy. So if you want a book, you can go, or you can just go brand at brandtober.com. But, and, and check out, if you want to watch some stand up, I got a bunch of prank calls and the stand up and podcaster at uh brandtoblercomedy.com. So come see me at comedy works. His DMs are open. Yeah, up. right in there. I'm pulled <laughs> out of my mind. I'll talk to – just ask me anything. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, this was a lot of fun. We unfortunately have got to take off and do NFL draft yeah. coverage. We'd uh, love to have you back on sometime. Yeah, for sure, anytime. And we'll uh, we'll get some beers when this bar opens. And oh, yeah. I'll see you guys around. Uh, I'll see you at the open mics, hopefully. i still need to meet Derek. he's been a regular listener to the show and we've interacted before but i haven't seen him perform i've seen a few other guys brent gill steve aj yeah those guys Uh, those are la guys now i'll tell you he's a huge rockies fan and is one of my favorite comedians uh a kid named brad gailey who's super funny and he's a super super rockies fan but just a great joke writer he he should i think he'll he'll do big things but yeah stroop's crushing like I said, the whole scene is – it's just a – you either get better or you get out. There's no, like uh, – you can't – in this scene, you got to be good because everybody's so good. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening in. Make sure you're following on all the requisite social media stuff. You're checking out all of Brent Tobler's stuff on uh, on his site and all the podcast stuff. I'm definitely going to start listening to that 31 a lot more. That sounds like a whole lot of fun. Uh, and the Craigslist thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be great. Uh, and then make sure you're subscribed to the dnvr.com. You get yourself a cool hat, you get yourself a shirt. Anything helps during this time. Uh, yeah, you just stay connected and uh, check all of our NFL draft coverage. If you're even in the least bit interested, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So uh, for Brant Tobler and Patrick Lyons, I've been Drew Creaseman. You've all been absolutely awesome. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.